Welcome to Consilience, an African science podcast, brought to you from Johannesburg, South Africa. Consilience is a weekly podcast dedicated to promoting reason, skepticism, and a scientific worldview in Africa and beyond. Welcome to Consilience. Today is May 14th, 2013, and I'm Owen Swart. Joining me today is Chris Sham. Ahoy! And Patrick Till. Hello, guys. Um, so, yes, so uh, our uh, diligent listeners will have noticed that we haven't put out an episode in a long time. And, um, well, you know, that just happens, I guess. Yeah. All right. So let's uh, let's just jump straight into it with uh, teaching Angela to appreciate history. And this is where one of us, uh, usually me these days, tries to inculcate a sense of appreciation for days gone by into our uh, podcast mate, Angela Meaden. On uh, this day in history, in, uh, in the year 1796, a man named Edward Jenner administered the first successful smallpox vaccine. Yay! Which is awesome. So that was that. Don't uh, vaccines give you something? Um, immunity. They give you immunity. <laughs> yes, 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 that's what it was. Yeah, so, so Jenner was an English physician and scientist. Uh, well, you know, th- that's what the, the, the text says, but the word scientist wasn't really used in 1796. But, you know, okay, we, we can apply it. Yeah, sure. historically, yeah. sure. Well, he did experiments, didn't he? Yes, yeah, he, he, he kind of, he, if he'd been alive today, we would have identified him as a scientist. But in those days, that word didn't really exist. Anyway, he, he's also known as the father of immunology. So so he was working from results obtained by others in the field. He kind of didn't invent this out of whole cloth. Other people were experimenting with this idea. And uh, Jenner prepared an inoculation which was based on the cowpox virus, which is a pathogen that's related to smallpox, but it's it's much less dangerous to humans. And he administered to an administered it to an eight year old boy named James Phipps, um, which is a fantastic name. It is. It not, is not enough Phippses in the world. Anymore. No, no, there aren't. You just don't don't uh, you don't get many Phippses these days. <laughs> also, a clinical trial with an eight year old boy that's uh, wouldn't exactly gotten passed by ethics standards these days. But anyway, well, at least unless you're part of the Catholic Church or something. Um, yes, yes, of course. Well, yeah, they don't have the same ethical standards that scientists have. Um, and the the sample that was injected into James was um, scraped from the pus of a cowpox blister on the hands of a milkmaid named Sarah Nelms, 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 named Sarah Nelms, Nelms yes. who contracted the disease from a cow named Blossom. And uh, Blossom's hide uh, still hangs in the St George St George's Medical School Library today. What happened to Sarah's hide? And and James Phipps's hide? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what happened to their hides. Um, but. Uh, the story goes on. You see, so so Phipps experienced some fever and discomfort for a couple of days, uh, but he didn't develop into a full-blown infection. And later he was exposed to full-blown smallpox. Again, a bit of an ethical violation there. But he didn't contract the disease at all. He was fine. I sometimes wonder how they um, convinced his parents to um, let me inject your son with this cow disease yeah. and see what happens. Well, well, you see, he... Um, James's father was uh, Jenna's gardener, so he was kind of <laughs> yeah. It was it was, uh, <laughs> uh, it was at a time of much bigger class division. Yes, yeah. So uh, you are my employee. Uh, you will deliver your son for me to do t- medical experiments on him. That was kind of how it was done in those days. He, he may have been happy that that's all it was. Yes, indeed. <laughs> the guy didn't work for the Catholic Church. Oh, yes, indeed. So, so, well, d- despite some some uh, dubious ethics in his uh, in his clinical trials, uh, Jenna is up there with Norman Borlaug in the pantheon of real-life superheroes, whose work has probably saved the lives of literally billions of people. And uh, also, smallpox was the first human disease to be declared extinct back in 1979, and so far it's the only human pathogen to be declared extinct. Yay! Yeah. Yeah, right. Patrick, you've, you've got something for us. Let's, uh, let's hear what you've got. 
Yes, I've got the usual uh, bunch of rubbish that I throw out and a whole bunch of news headlines in five minutes. Well, I suppose the first uh, big news headlines today is Chris Hadfield uh, landed from space. Uh, he came back in the Soyuz capsule. He was out in space for five months. Who's Chris Hadfield? Yes, he was basically, uh, well, he's an American. Uh, no, he's uh, not. What? He's Canadian. Uh, same well, thing. part of NASA. It's part of, it's the same, same thing. thing. Yeah. Yeah, that, that NASA is not the same as the Canadian Space Agency. <laughs> <laughs> Prove it. <laughs> okay, but uh, one of the biggest things about Chris Hadfield, apart from me not knowing where he came from or who he works for or whatever, um, he had a very active uh, blog on the internet. His Twitter uh, was going through his Google Plus, and his son was also doing a lot of stuff. He used to send his son a lot of stuff. His son presented it. So you've got some of these amazing pictures um, from outer space of Earth. Mm. Uh, pictures yeah. of rivers, dams, volcanoes. And cities. Everything. Very impressive ones of cities. Wow. Of city, mm. yeah. yeah, fantastic shots. Awesome. There, there's one in particular of the more or less the whole of the Western Cape, oh, uh, nice. which looks very nice. Okay, moving on to the next headline. And here's a cool one. Study claims marijuana tied to lower bladder cancer risk. Um, mm. I'm uh, I'm dubious of any uh, any studies that that report a, some kind of beneficial effect of marijuana because there, I don't think there's any study that's ever been done on the medicinal effects of marijuana that wasn't biased. There is some significant motivated reasoning. <laughs> yes, indeed. But anyway, carry on. But, yeah, who tell did, us about it. Who about did it? this one? Was this a a, a, diff- a good study for a change? Well, I suppose everyone was happy taking part <laughs> of this uh, study. <laughs> yeah, and certainly that. it says new research uh, says smoking pot may be less likely to cause bladder cancer. Maybe less likely. It doesn't mm. sound like a very strong study. Even though yeah. they said they did it over 11 years, 52, huh. uh, 45% had a reduction in bladder cancer incidence. Okay. So it seems as they had some uh, beneficial, but then again, we know cancer also has a major problem with uh, affecting the brain. It affects your brain cells, the chemical of your brain. So I suppose it's one of those can- ones can- Cancer does. Uh, yes. No, marijuana. Marijuana. Well, okay. Cancer okay. does too. Cancer <laughs> will also kill you. Shall we start off again? <clears throat> uh, marijuana affects the brain cells and the brain chemistry. And so the question is, which one are you going to go for? Are you going to hope you don't get cancer? Are you going to smoke marijuana? Or are you going to be a dirty hippie stoner? Yeah. <laughs> you said it was 52 people in the study? Uh, no, no, sorry, 52%. Oh, 52, oh, okay. Yeah. No, no, no mention uh, of the uh, sample da, da, da. size. Let me just read this quickly, this bit here. Cannabis use, uh, use, <clears throat> cannabis use only was associated with 45% reduction in bladder cancer. So that means that 52% had an increase. Hmm, we're missing uh, 3% here in this uh, math sum as well. 3% of people... Phased, no, phased out of existence. <laughs> they had no change. Well, you see, this is the problem with marijuana research. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. Um, well, it's all good, isn't it? Well, at least that's what they would say. Mm-hmm. Um, next headline, zipping along. Well, here's the sad news. France to set tax smartphones to protect culture in digital age. Basically, they're going, to start, yeah, no, no, no. they're going to start taxing... Well, when I say smartphones, it's going to be mostly the apps uh, like Google+, Twitter, and so forth. Why? Because they think it's affecting their cultural heritage. It is, but that's good. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, French culture is terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Any change would be an improvement. I think the real point is that they're hoping to get uh, 4.2% out of the tax. So it all comes down to money again. Yeah, looking for any excuse. Yeah. 
Here's a nice cool one. Japanese politician calls wartime sex slaves necessary. Um, I don't, I don't know where to no, start no, with that no, one. No, no, skip. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing good you could say in there. <laughs> well, basically, he's saying that, you know, the soldiers are so stressed out and they've got to go to war and they're lonely and so forth. And maybe a little bit of um, easing of tension is good. All right, so, so that makes a good argument for, for having sex while you're deployed. But why the sex slavery? Why, why the, the slavery aspect? Why is that okay? That is a good question because he doesn't actually talk about the slavery part when you read the article. He's only talking about the actual sex workers. So maybe he sees sex workers as slaves. Interesting. Yeah. Mm. But apparently he had a good uh, discussion chatting to the American, um, let me just see exactly which American, uh, the head of the uh, American base there, suggesting that some of the Americans also join in on this um, release of tension um Mission yeah, of these. The, the, the H2 logical fallacy. Oh, yeah. yeah. All right. And the last one, before we go on and on forever, talking about stuff I don't know anything about, uh, medicine's big new battleground. Does mental illness really exist? <laughs> yes. Um, Next question. Did that one come from a Scientology newspaper? And no, no this, this one I've seen in a couple different forms, a couple of different headlines, but it's all oh, talking yeah. about the... Abandoning of the uh, DSM, is it? Mm, yes, yes, yeah. the, the, the DSM five. Stand for the Di- Diagnostic Standard Manual, something like that. Diagnostics and Statistical Manual. Yeah, there you go. They're all related to that, and I don't think a lot of people, a lot of the headline writers, quite followed it. Mm, no, it makes sense. So, so, so what do we know about that? Just as a matter of interest, because it's not on the story list. Yeah, no. Basically, the the bits and pieces I can pull out of the stories here, it's more sort of like they battling to um, get the terminology right and is it really a disease and how do you identify it as the disease and so forth. And if you can't identify it, it can't go into the medical journals and so forth. So they're not really saying it's not a disease. They just really can't classify it. I know uh, there was one particularly large organization in the U.S. Uh, I want to say the American Medical Association. I'm, I'm guessing here. They were the ones who said we're no longer going to be using this. And that's that's what kicked off interest. So, so what are they talking about using instead? Are, are they just going by AMA guidelines or, or making it their own? I suppose. Yeah. I see. So, the, so, so each organisation will be responsible for defining its own list of of, of uh, mental diseases. Is, is that what we're talking about? Because uh, I think I think that's what they're talking about doing for themselves, and they don't really care what anybody else is going to do. Perhaps perhaps they're hoping others will follow their lead. Fair enough. So let's move on to the news. Our first story this evening is about a locust plague in Madagascar, which means that either Andri Rajalina is refusing to let Yahweh's chosen people go, or things are looking really bad for the locals in Madagascar. Locusts? But I've been reading. Hasn't the UN been saying something about it's good to eat locusts and insects? <laughs> no, we should tell the Madagascarans. Madagascarans? Madagascans? Malagasy, I believe. Malagasy. Mm. Oh, okay. That's what that word means. Right, right. Okay, cool. Right, so, so, so for our international listeners, Madagascar is a, a large island in the Indian Ocean just off the coast of, of East Africa. You may know it from the movie, Madagascar. Yes. Um, it is not, in fact, populated exclusively by lemurs, although that is the only place pretty much where lemurs come from. And um, 
they're they're having a hard time over there. At least the humans living there are having a hard time because they're experiencing the worst locust plague recorded in sixty years. It's uh, busy devouring the crops on this already impoverished island, and um, and it's just they're having a really rough time with it. So so they're looking at about a hundred swarms of locusts. Each one is about ten kilometers long, and they're they're totaling an estimated five hundred billion individual locusts. And they're they're just flying back and forth across the island, eating anything they can get their funny little mouth parts on, leaving little left for the human population to eat. The the locusts are, are consuming about a hundred thousand tons of vegetation each day, including not only the rice and maize that uh, crops intended for the humans to eat, but also for the pastures to feed the cattle. So uh, Madagascar's food supply is being cut off at the knees. They're 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 pretty much screwed, and they're going to have to be dependent on foreign aid to make it uh, make it to the next harvest. And the the uh, the cause of the plague isn't well understood, but uh, contributing factors are likely to be things like weather conditions, and also lack of government funding for pesticides and other population control methods. Hmm. To quote Joseph Rakota, um, the government doesn't give us anything. He's basically talking about the government's giving them uh, pesticides and so much so forth to protect themselves. So right, that's what yeah. the man on the street is um, also Ma- saying. Madagascar is not an especially wealthy place, and no. they've had some. Blood. Political instability as well, so Indeed. that's not too surprising. Um, well, look, that, that's not uncommon for any African nation. I mean, just, you know, ask just about any, any African man on the street, including us. They'll probably say also the government doesn't give us anything because the fact is we're we're generally an impoverished continent. And uh, yeah, I think South Africa is generally better off. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, no, the, the the rest of the continent. Yeah, is and and Madagascar, Madagascar, you're right, does follow that pattern. Mm. Uh, the other implication that I haven't seen in the story, but I imagine will be a real thing. Is uh, the impact this has on, on? I'm assuming the locusts aren't indigenous, but, but all, all the other indigenous life if they are indigenous. Right, right. Uh, Madagascar's got some fairly unique um, uh, species over there. It's yeah. because it's an island that's isolated, similar to Australia with its marsupials. Yes, uh, yeah. Madagascar's got quite a lot of uh, unusual things there, like all the lemurs. Mm, yes, lemurs, um, chameleons, the, the giant weasels. They got awesome stuff over there. Yeah, yeah they got they got. Their own things, yeah. and and I imagine those aren't going to be particularly well affected by this this locust thing either. Yeah, probably not. Or well, I mean, as with as with any natural disaster, the, the news, uh, the mainstream media will only report the the effects on humans first, and then maybe six months down the line they'll talk about what what effects it's had on the wildlife. It's usually mm-hmm. the pattern. One of the other biggest problems with Madagascar is they're having a major problem with um, slash and burn practices for farming. Mm. Uh, they're cutting back further and further into the nature reserves and the bushveld. So there's very little place left for the natural animals and wildlife there. And so what you see on the movies and Discovery Channel and all that is really very, very small areas, about the size of maybe a city spread out across a whole island. And if that's gone, there's like nothing left. It's just farmland mm-hmm. and burns. Yeah, so, yeah the, the extra pressure now can't be doing anything. In fact, I wonder if maybe the two are related, the, the farming practices and the plague. Maybe maybe they've just made it too appealing for locusts. Yeah, it could be. Well, we'll have to keep an eye on that and see if there's yeah. any news. Indeed. All right, our, our next story uh, is from Chris, and it's about dementia striking more people earlier. Yes, dementia is striking more people earlier. Um, <laughs> there has been uh, uh, recorded recently um, in several um, wealthy Western nations, 10 different ones, uh, significant rises in neurological um what's the word to use neurological deaths um, which will be from a variety of brain brain diseases dementia being one of the, the, the large ones anyway um and this is worrying just because large increases in deaths are bad 
Um, but it's yeah. also <laughs> um, it's also a little unclear why it's happened. Um, uh, what about the, the thing that they say about it's always because now we're living much older than we used to. That's why these diseases that's, are that's, uh, With a lot of your dem- uh, the, 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 the most common dementia is, is Alzheimer's disease. Um, and that one, yeah, that, that, that is a very common pattern of Alzheimer's is that when your um, population's age, average age starts rising, um, when, when conditions are good, uh, Alzheimer's becomes more common just because more people are living to the age where Alzheimer's begins to kick in. You don't normally see Alzheimer's in anyone younger than, say, 65-ish. Uh, what's weird about this sudden increase that they've um, measured is that uh, it's younger people, people who shouldn't be getting Alzheimer's, so it must be other neurological diseases, and they're, they're not quite sure why. They're also pretty sure that because it's such a sudden change, it couldn't be uh, a, a purely genetic thing. It's not like uh, um, a particular population has emerged that's, that's more prone to it or something like that because it's within a few years rather than several generations. So you think it might, well, or they think it might be something to do with more with the environment or our lifestyle or something? Those are possible considerations, but uh, this, is, this is something that they've only just detected and it may take quite a while to um, isolate the factor or factors because it could be you know, we're talking several different countries, different parts of the world here. Could be different causes in each of them. I think I know what it is. I think it's the marijuana. <laughs> that uh, I have no expertise in this. Maybe. I It's just a guess because it's, it's, it's in my head right now and I'm thinking about it. But uh, I'm going to... Yes, that's right. Marijuana goes to your head. <laughs> yes, it does. I, I'm going I'm to make a prediction that, uh, that marijuana will turn out to be at least one of the, the environmental causes here. I suppose it's quite possible. Um, yeah, that, that, sorry, finish. Um, I'm just having a quick look here at the um, timelines I'm seeing here. They're talking about the, let's do it this way, the timeline that we've got here is from 1979 to 2010. Um, so that's just starting after the hippie craze. So the hippie craze, of course, starts yep. in the early 60s onwards. Mm-hmm. So that's a good thought. And, and there are definitely dimensions that are induced by drug and alcohol abuse. Um, Indeed. So it's not impossible. It's feasible. But yeah. again, we don't know yet. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll see, but that's my mm. that's my hypothesis. All right, yeah, yeah. Putting your money on this. Yeah, yeah. All right, fair enough. So yeah, uh, again, lots of stories tonight that we'll just have to report back to you later. Yes, yeah. We'll, we'll report back in 20 years once <laughs> we figure it out. Right. Yeah, I'm just having a look at these numbers here, and it's quite scary. Uh, me- the, the increase for men has gone up by 66%. And by women, 92%. I wonder if all that 90% is really due to dementia. Uh, Well, look, uh, they're they're talking neurological deaths in general. So it's not only going to be dementia. Dementia is going to be one of the large parts of it. Mm. All right, shall we move on to the next story? Yes. All right, so so in the, the future home city of the Federation Starfleet, stupidity has been thwarted once again. Yay. In, uh, in 2011, city officials of, of San Francisco in the United States passed an ordinance that required cell phone manufacturers to put warning labels on all products sold in the city, detailing alleged risks that cell phone use might have to the population, specifically cancer. Ooh. Yeah. But uh, not surprisingly, the cell phone industry uh, sued the crap out of San Francisco officials uh, because they didn't want to put bullshit labels on their products warning users of threats that don't exist. 
after a lengthy court battle, it's been two years in, in, the, in the offing, the, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, whatever that is, demanded that San Francisco provide evidence that cell phones cause cancer, or at least show that there was a scientific consensus to that effect. And of course, there is no evidence or mm. consensus. Nope. So they were forced to withdraw their case or face having to pay the group of cellular companies, which includes uh, Apple and Samsung, half a million dollars in legal fees. To which I respond, bang. So, so let's just uh, reiterate there. The only risk to your health in using cell phones is texting while you're driving or other crap like that. I shouldn't have to keep saying this, but there is no evidence that cell phone use has any other side effects. No radiation sickness, no cancer, no electromagnetic sensitivity, none of it. Many enormous, good quality studies have been and continue to be performed. And not one of them has shown the slightest bit of evidence to support this notion. And to, just to remind our, use, our listeners, um, I know we were talking about dementia just a few seconds ago. They're not linked. One started in 1979, this started in 1994. Even that does not colorate. Yep, yep. Wouldn't expect it to. No. All right, so, uh, so Chris, you've got another story for us about exoplanets. Yes, it's, a, it's quite a short story, but um, an interesting new one. We have a new trick for spotting exoplanets. Nice. Um, so so we, we have two tricks already. Huh? What are those? Two tricks already are the gravitational wobble one, um, where you look for the planet, uh, the, sorry, the, the star getting pulled from side to side by the gravity of the planet going around it. And then there's the blanking out, I forget the term for it, the, 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 the blocking out of the, the light. Transition or something. Transition method, that's it. Um, where the planet's, if its uh, plane is perfectly aligned with Earth, when it moves in front of the star, temporarily blocks out the light and we can see that dropping light. Those are the two that they've been using for years now, and we found hundreds of exoplanets that way. We now have a new method, um, which is actually technically two different things, but, but they, they've been using it as one thing here because it's quite a subtle thing. Mm -hmm. um, one part of it is that they look for um, what's called Einstein's beaming effect. Nice. Um, yeah, it's a decent name. It's got to do with photons. Mm -hmm. Photons piling up. Sounds um, quantum to me. It is. Um, and relativistic, um, which is neat. But you can kind of vaguely think of it as as sort of analogous to the, the Doppler effect with sound, okay. where you have lots of sound waves piling up together because your your source of sound, the supersonic jet or whatever, is producing them all one on top of another. Mm -hmm. Something similar can happen if your star jiggles slightly. Not not the full-size wobble that you'd see with the, the wobble method, mm -hmm. but a smaller jiggle. Um, caused by the, the, the pull of its planet, that can cause the photons coming from it to be sent out in um, sort of compressed and, uh, and decompressed waves. And when photons compress together, they do they do different things, but it's, it's not really the same as the Doppler effect. But basically, you get a brighter light. That's the main thing that they're looking for. Mm -hmm. So you're not seeing the star moving from side to side as you would with the model, but you see a brightness. Okay, okay. Um, so was if the uh, planet gets dim... Uh, sorry, if the star gets dim, there might be planets. If the star gets bright, there might be planets. Yeah, pretty much. Um, the other effect is also a brightness-dimness thing, because if your planet has a strong enough gravitational pull on, on the star, it'll kind of stretch the shape of it out into more of an oval... Um, what's, what's the word they used for it? Not an oval? Ovoid? Um, no, I didn't bother to write down what shape. But egg, yeah, egg, egg shape. Egg shape, it's we'll egg call shape. it, yeah. Um, but we're not talking big enough yet that you'd actually see the change in shape. It's not like if you look at it directly, you'll see it as a 
an egg. Yeah, right. I but, mean, but, but to, it, to look at our sun, it looks like a perfect sphere. As far yeah, as sure. As, tell, as yeah. far as we know, our sun is the, the most perfect sphere we've ever seen in the universe. Right. I think we covered that a few episodes ago, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, probably. All right. If we didn't, it is. Yeah. So there you go. Hmm. Um, and what's what's happening with this is that if, if the bulge, the very, very slight bulge of the star uh, faces towards Earth, then it should look brighter again. It's um, uh, off, off to 90 degrees, I think it would be. It mm. looks dimmer. Right, if, I, right. if I'm if I'm picturing it right in my head, I might might be getting those confused. Mm. But the point is, again, you're looking for a very, very, very subtle brightening or dimming effect. Mm-hmm. Um, and by combining these two things together, um, they've got one algorithm which which is able to combine the two effects and look for the correct brightening and dimming. Okay. Uh, Come on, give us the name of that algorithm. The algorithm is Beer. Which is a, oh. a backronym from beaming uh, ellipsoidal and reflection emission modulation, which, oh. is, which is no good. No, that's what, what they should have called it was beaming ellipsoidal and emission reflection. Just swapping the reflection and emission around right, right. makes it correctly interfere with the right number of E's. Oh, there you go. Because they, they throw the M word away. The modulation. modulation? Yeah, 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 you don't need modulation. Just, yeah. 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 That's, that's implied, really. Yeah, obviously. Oh. <laughs> um, or, or call it beer modulation. Boy, beer, beer modulation is not bad either. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Um, so, yeah. so you say this is a, a, these two effects, really. Yes. They're much subtler effects. So, so we're, we're looking at the, the two methods we have so far are, are good at detecting um, large planets far out or small planets close in. Yes. But what we're looking, what we, we really want to find is small planets further out. And uh, that's what this is. This is what we're able to do. Uh, well, this one maybe they're not sure yet. Uh, this is obviously the first one they found. The the the, the one that they've got now is called Kepler seventy six B, and that is a hot Jupiter. Okay. It's one of these very large gas giants that's very close to its star. Mm-hmm. So we found lots of those already. That's right, nothing yeah. new. Yeah, um, exactly. But you know, we've got one more tool, and that's the important thing. Awesome, excellent. More tools in the toolkit. Yep. Well, I suppose every planet we find adds one more possibility to having some sort of mm-hmm. life out there. Yep. So just keep on adding the numbers. Eventually, the numbers have to. Yeah. Well, also, also, sorry. One other thing that's worth mentioning here is that they used, I think, the wobble method um, with with Kepler seventy six B afterwards to confirm mm. that they had really found it. Oh yeah. Um, and that's that's another important thing about these multiple tools is that you can then use them to confirm each other. Mm, yes. Um, which you know again. Makes it even more likely that we can find uh, yeah. Earth too. Well, yeah. I suppose some of the biggest problems with all these different methods is number one, some of them take so long to run. I mean, the uh, transition effect. I don't even think I'm calling it right either. No, that sounds right. Um, the occultation method. Occult- is occultation might be the right. Mm. Yeah. Uh, well, the star has the planet has to go around the star yeah. at least twice to mm. confirm it. So that's yeah. a year, two years. Well, it's it's, it's it's an orbital period. It depends Correct. what it is. Mm. Um, and the the difference in the dimming is well, very very mm. very slight. Yeah, yeah. So it's any imagine, uh, yeah, it's like, it's like a fly flying in front of a car headlight. It's uh, it's difficult to detect. Seen from a kilometer away or something. Yeah, something mm. like that. Yeah. yeah. So every uh, extra tool in our toolbox is a plus. Yeah, indeed. Because uh, all it does is it just adds to the, the number of planets where Kirk might find hot alien chicks to bone. Um, also, um, any other planets at all. Yes, yeah. that's, that's, that's too. That's fantastic. <laughs> that's also good, yeah. yeah. The, you know, uh, well, hot alien boning aside, it's, <laughs> it's always good to have more planets. Well, if you don't have to find the chicks, you'll find the tribbles. Um, yes. Yes, that's true. You could find the tribbles. And uh, speaking of tribbles, uh, shall we move on to our sci-fi fantasy quote of the week? 
This one comes from um, an episode of Star Trek Voyager, uh, Season 6, Episode 9, The Voyager Conspiracy. And it was said by Lieutenant Commander Tuvok. And it goes like this. Speculation is not evidence. Very nice. Nice. Simple, concise. Yep. Pithy. Yes, indeed. All right, shall we move on to our announcements? Sure. All right, so uh, we've got a couple in Joburg. Our, our first one is Skeptics in the Pub West Rand, and that's happening tonight, if you're listening to this episode the, the day it goes live, on Wednesday the 15th of May at 6 p.m. at the Green and Gold Pub in Ruderport. If you're listening to this now, you're probably already late. Get in your car and go. <laughs> the uh, the next one is Rumble in the Pub Midrand, which is happening on Thursday the 16th of May. That's starting at 6.30, and it's going to be at the Dross, just off New Road in Midrand. Then we've got another one, Skeptics in the Pub, Joburg, which is happening Wednesday, the 5th of June at 7 at Pizza Evino at the Wedge uh, Shopping Center in Morningside. Awesome. The pizzas there are fantastic. That's, that's the new venue. Yes, yes, yeah. We, we've moved. We, we used to be uh, at another pub in Santon, but uh, we decided Pizza Evino was nicer. So uh, that's where we are now. All right, good. Perhaps we can just uh, remind our listeners what each of these um, events involve. What is the Skeptics in the Pub? Skeptics in the pub is, is kind of an informal social gathering. I mean, it, it varies depending on where you go, but but our ones here are just informal social gatherings yeah, where people sitting around talking crap. Yes, exactly. So it, we're not even necessarily talking about skeptical things, although we do sometimes. Mm. It's just a, a chance to to get together with people who are also skeptically minded and uh, and relax and, and unwind with people where you don't have to be guarded yes. about the things that uh, other people might, might not be yeah, exactly. you don't have as to be, tolerant. You, know, you don't have to worry about uh, saying bad things about Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, know, you can say bad things about Jesus as skeptics, nobody's going to uh, take offense. Uh, Rumble in the pub is, is a, a different kind of thing, and this was started by our, our, uh, our friend uh, Dion, and uh, is run by my girlfriend, uh, Suzanne Patterson. Um, it's, a, uh, it's an informal uh, debating club. So we, we all get together in a restaurant or a pub, and we've, we've got a couple of topics that we've picked beforehand, and then we all have a chance to speak. There's, there's kind of a uh, almost a game a set of game rules around it so that you, everybody gets a chance to, to have their say. Uh, nobody interrupts anybody, and you get to, to just throw the topic back and forth. There's no winner or loser or anything like that. It's not a competitive debate. It's just a chance to sort of flex some, uh, some intellectual muscles you don't always get a chance to play with. One of the things I seem to I really do like about this rumble is – being skeptical, we're always looking for the evidence, uh, cross-checking our facts, uh, making sure of everything before we go ahead and say it and so forth. But sometimes you just want to say something. You want to get something off your chest. And this rumble seems to be the perfect place. You get a chance to say your own thing without having to have to back it up. It's your opinion. There's no one, as Owen said there, there's no one runs right or wrong. Nobody's going to win anything. You just get a chance to say your thing. Yeah, that's true. And, and the topics are always interesting. Um, uh, they're often things like uh, science fiction topics from you know, from Star Trek or things like that. Uh, anything that's uh, that's interesting. And, and we also uh, people are welcome to uh, to submit their own topics. We now have a system where topics are, are thrown into a hat and then randomly selected each time we have a thing. So uh, if you've got something that you'd like to to bounce off a group of of uh, of smart people, just bring it along and we'll we'll have a chat about it eventually. Uh, we do have one more announcement, and that's for Durban, and that is Skeptics in the Pub also, and that's happening on Thursday the 16th of May at 6 o'clock at the usual venue, Pizzetta. 16th of May, uh, so you won't be able to go to uh, the Rumble in the Pub and Skeptics in the Pub. Uh, you won't be able to go to Rumble in the Pub in Midrand and Skeptics in the Pub in Durban. No, no, you won't be able to make those two at the same time. Transport, Yay, uh, you, 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 you could possibly rush it. Um, no. <laughs> 1616.30. 
Alright, shall we move on to our links of the week? Patrick, have, have you got one for us? Uh, yes. Now, cool. Actually, I, I forgot. But I'll tell you what I'd like to highlight, just, well, because I love it so much, is Google Docs or Google Drive. Nice. Um, okay, I know I'm advertising Google and all that here, but... You're allowed really, to. If there's, if there's one podcast you're allowed to <laughs> advertise Google for free, it's this one. Go ahead. Uh, yes. The reason I love it is it really starts uh, bringing the cloud together in real time. You know, you talk about the cloud, they talk about photographs going, uploading and downloading, all that. The Google Docs, you get three people across the world all working on the same document together to bring something else out. And this really is amazing. We're definitely Indeed. getting closer and closer to the future. Indeed, we are, we're living in the future. This is it. Welcome. I, I should point out that right now, all three of us on separate machines are all looking at the same Google Doc document for, yes. for the script. Indeed, uh, that, that's um, what we do. We, we have a, a doc that we all... Uh, collaborate on we all pull, put our notes in one document and we can all look at it while we're recording and then i just copy it and paste it into wordpress for mm-hmm. the show notes afterwards and it's, it's also useful before because we can all sit at our own separate offices or homes and, and throw yeah. in our contributions yeah without having to wait until we all get together indeed no, that's good stuff very yeah. efficient no, i love it google docs uh, of course is now part of google drive and it's just a, a wonderful product it's a lot of fun chris have you got a link for us i do I would like to mention the Planetary Society's website, which I believe is planetary.org. Yes. Um, And Planetary Society is a very interesting organization set up by uh, Carl Sagan, among others. Uh, uh, Lewis Friedman, I think, was the other big name. Um, And their goal is pretty much to do whatever they can to encourage, through civil society, essentially, human expansion into space, um, working out ways to support uh, government efforts and private efforts and, and occasionally even their own um, space missions. Um, they've been working on solar sails for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, they're, they're cheap things because they're essentially a, a non-profit organization. Right. Um, but they do that sort of thing. Um, and there's all sorts of interesting stuff on their site, but uh, I think the, the two things that are of uh, particular interest to me is uh, Emily Lakdawala's uh, blog, mm. um, always full of interesting um, astronomy news there, great pictures. Mm-hmm. Um, she pretty much monitors the the, um, the feeds directly from um, Cassini and uh, um, Curiosity and then all, all the probes that we've got out there yeah. and gives you the the raw pictures and, and sometimes edits the pictures ourselves and, yeah. and processes them. Very, very good stuff. She, she's like she's like Mr. Spock. She's mm. sitting there at the science console yeah. and she's got all the sensors linked, linked into her own laptop or whatever and then she just shares them with us. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. That's, that's perfect. Perfect way to think of it. I hadn't thought of that. Mm. Uh, they've also got a pretty good podcast of their own yes. um, which yes. you shouldn't listen to. Listen to this one instead. <laughs> um, <laughs> you can listen to both. It's, but, it's but, okay. Uh, it's also worth pointing out that their chairman, CEO, forget what the title is, their big boss guy, president, Something like that. Big, big Kahuna is is Bill Nye the Science Guy. Oh, is he doing that now? I he didn't is, realize yeah. it was him. Okay, and, and uh, he f- he's frequently on the podcast mm. and and contributes a bit to the blogs and occasionally gives them videos and things and uh, yeah, it's a, a fun additional bonus thing. You get lots of Bill Nye. Awesome. Now, Bill Nye is fantastic, and, and uh, th- that's what that relates to to my uh, link of the week as well. It's a, it's another podcast that you're allowed to listen to as long <laughs> as you don't uh, give up on us too. Um, and that's Star Talk Radio, 
and uh, it relates to Bill Nye because he's uh, he's a frequent guest contributor to StarTalk. Um, StarTalk itself is run by uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, who is a rock star of science. He's completely awesome. Mm, fantastic. Big time Trekkie. So uh, the, although he's talking mostly about science and space science in particular on the podcast, there's a lot of Star Trek in there as well. Every now and then he'll have Will Wheaton or Nichelle Nichols on the show and, and they'll uh, throw back some, throw around some memories of being on the, the set of Star Trek. Because, mm. uh, I've, I've, listened, I've only ever listened to one episode of Star Talk and uh, that was him interviewing LeVar Burton mm. and... Oh, um, blank data. Yes, um, um, Brent Spiner. Brent Spiner, thank you. Yes. The two of them. And yeah, it, it's fantastically oh, clever stuff awesome. because yeah. he manages to tie in the science and the astronomy stuff very well and, mm. and brings in their own educational history and what interested them, but also keeps it kind of Hollywoody and, and mm, entertaining. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's awesome. It's, it's a it's a weekly podcast. It's an hour long, and it's always good listening. And I highly recommend it. Good. All right. Well, I think that's all we've got. So, uh, Chris, where can people find you on the internet? As ever, it's uh, fjordsofafrica.blogspot.com. Nice. Don't you want to spell that? It's kind of a F- sort of funny F- letters in there. It's, a J it's, 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 a... it's the traditional spelling of fjord. It's f j o r d s o f a f r i c a dot blogspot.com. Nice. Pretty sure that's how I spell it. Yeah. Yeah. More or less. And if it's not, then it's pretty oops. close. Yeah. All right, Patrick, where can we find you on the internet? Oh, in various places. But the easiest thing is just type in my username, T-H-E-M-Y-S-T-1971, and you're bound to find me. Probably Google or Twitter, about me. Not Facebook, though. No. Yeah, that up is a bad idea. Good plan. I assume that's pronounced uh, them iced. <laughs> close enough. Very close. <laughs> <laughs> Owen, are you on the internet anywhere? I am on the internet, and you can find all of my stuff in the Googles. Just go to the Google internet and type in my name, and you'll find me. You'll see my face, and click on that, and then you'll see me on the internet. He does a little dance. Um, probably at some <laughs> point, yeah. All right, well, well, that's all we have for you this week. Thanks to my co-hosts and to you, the listeners. Be sure to join us again next week for more Consilience. Listening to Consilience. Our website is consiliencecast.wordpress.com and you can send us an email to consiliencecast at gmail.com. Theme music is The Optimist by Zoe Keating from freemusicarchive.org.